0: Hello, everyone. Today's commentary is about vaccine mandates. It was written a couple of years ago in the fall of 2021 when we were first introduced in Canada to the concept of vaccine mandates and passports. I had worried that it might become stale with the passage of time. However, uh, I was saved by our national doctor, Dr. Tam, who recently issued a press conference about New, a, a brand new Moderna vaccine, and she exhorted us to all take out our masks again. And so, just as in fashion and advertising and bad hairstyles, so too in bad government policy, everything old is new again. This commentary is called The Unconscionable Dilemma of Vaccine Mandates. We we'll begin with a quotation from uh, a famous British. Thinker and theologian, uh, Doctor Herbert Spencer, from about 1850. Quotation reads as follows: "Be it or be it not true that man is shaped in iniquity, and conceived in sin, it is unquestionably true that government is begotten of aggression and by aggression." Albert Knox was a noted 20th century American libertarian who, along with his better known colleague H.L. Mencken recognized the preconditions to accurately foresee the onset of both the Great Depression and World War II. In his 1935 treatise, Our Enemy the State, Nock wrote that, quote, there is an impression that the enhancement of state power, which has taken place in recent years, is provisional and temporary, that the corresponding depletion of social power is by way of a kind of emergency loan, and that therefore is not to be scrutinized too closely. But there is every probability that this belief is devoid of foundation. No doubt our present regime will be modified in one way or another. Indeed, it must be, for the process of consolidation itself requires it. But any essential change would be quite unhistorical, quite without precedent, and therefore most unlikely. And by an essential change, I mean one that will tend to redistribute actual power, between state and society. In the nature of things, there is no reason why such change should take place, and every reason why it should not. We shall see various apparent recessions, apparent compromises, but the one thing that we may be quite sure of is that none of these will tend to diminish actual state power. Well, we are witnessing this same tension between society and the state being played out before our very eyes, right here, right now, every day in Canada. The once true nor strong and free is lately neither. Libertarians like Nock see the state as an inherently evil entity, created by a corrupt ruling class to use legally sanctioned violence to rob through taxation and oppress through restrictions upon liberty, individuals and collectively society, of its economic, social, and political power. The state machinery itself is a massive comprehensive, complicated, and often seemingly contradictory tool of social plunder. Each actual state appears to be different from all others, in fact, each state is unique in the historical sense that the methods and manners of using the machinery vary because of time, place, circumstance, culture, and ideas as the most efficient use of that machinery. Different groups, especially under democratic regimes like Canada and the US, vie for control of the state apparatus, each often having some limited measure of success, thus leading the unaware to conclude that class theories are fantasies rather than anything capable of verification in reality. However, under all states, groups engage in struggle for power, and one group, over the course of time, always finishes considerably more equal than the others. It is to this more powerful group that wealth, plundered by the political means, always accrues. This group becomes entrenched both politically and economically through its plundered wealth as the entrenchment becomes more and more secure and the plunder, stemming from the power of taxation and the granting of privilege, begins to move systematically from the exploited class to the entrenched exploiting class. It becomes reasonable and logical that we begin to call the exploiting group A ruling class or elite. Those who do gain access to the state apparatus and become adept in supervision of the political means, except in the most placid of times when they can afford luxury and sophistication of the noblesse oblige, generally are an unlikely lot to be tolerant or in any way chivalrous in their methods of administration, especially in times of emergency. In such turmoil, those most adept in the use of political means Will take advantage of the situation to further solidify the class position of both themselves and their peers. As economist F. A. Hayek famously pointed out, it is an almost inevitable process of the worst rising to the top. Can there be any better explanation for the massive growth of our own federal government under one who is, by any metric, the most inept, unethical, leftist, and elitist prime minister in Canadian history? Justin Trudeau made some truly horrific comments on Quebecois television in which he questioned whether good vaccinated Canadians should be forced to tolerate the unvaccinated. Quote, We are going to end this pandemic with vaccination. We all know people who are deciding whether or not they are willing to get vaccinated and we will do our very best to try to convince them. However, there is still a part of the population fiercely against it. They do not believe in science or progress and are very often misogynistic and racist. It is a very small group of people, but that does not shy away from the fact that they take up some space. This leads us, as leader, and as a country, to make a choice. Do we tolerate these people? Over 80% of the population have done their duty by getting the shot. They are obviously not the issue in this situation. These comments from the leader of the Canadian ruling class, who represents only their interests, cuts to the heart of the matter. They also reveal the true source and purpose of the vaccine mandates imposed upon Canadian workers. The vaccine mandate is a politically expedient abuse of state authority to consolidate power in the Prime Minister's office by identifying political dissidents and launching a focused attack upon the Canadian working class. Here again is the state versus society conflict by which the state seeks to expand its power by attacking and usurping individual autonomy. How is this affected? Of course, the state comes in the guise of a beneficent protector which demands control over every aspect of our lives in exchange for security. It is largely in this way that the progressive conversion of social power into state power becomes acceptable and gets itself accepted. Faced with a pandemic, the state has said to society, You are either not exercising enough power to meet the emergency, or are exercising it in what I think is an incompetent way, so I shall confiscate your power and exercise it to suit myself. The state thus turns every emergency into a resource for accumulating power to itself, always at the expense of social power. And with this, it develops a habit of acquiescence in the people. New generations appear each temperamentally adjusted to new increments of state power, and they tend to take the process of continuous accumulation as quite in order. All the state's institutional voices, especially the mass media and woke corporate interests, unite to confirm this tendency. They conspire in exhibiting the progressive conversion of social power into state power as something not only quite in order, but even as wholesome and necessary for the public good. Here, then, is the awful truth revealed about vaccine mandates in Canada. There's no federal law invoking them. In fact, the government's own lawyers told them that they could not do it back in 1996. Constitutionally, the federal government has no authority over health. Section 92 makes health an exclusively provincial jurisdiction. But just as this government has usurped provincial jurisdiction over natural resources, By manufacturing a carbon-based climate crisis that invokes the federal government into action to protect the environment, the Liberals have seized authority over health through bribery and its exclusive control of the Treasury. It has thereby transformed the pandemic into an economic crisis, a debt crisis, a national security crisis, a border crisis, a racism crisis, and now an employment safety crisis. This last one is particularly relevant since the federal government is now the nation's largest and most ubiquitous employer. It should therefore be obvious why the public and private employer enacted vaccine mandate policies targeted the Canadian middle class. The poor, the indigent, the elderly, prison inmates, unskilled labourers, and the unemployed have no economic or political power to be seized. The uber-rich and ruling political class are similarly unaffected since their support is assured and thus not in jeopardy. Workers at companies like CN, CP, WestJet, Air Canada, CNRL, Imperial Oil, TELUS, CBC, BDC, universities, health workers, physicians, and others are all highly skilled, experienced, talented, loyal, and valuable. Each of them were produced by and then plucked from society via a market selection process which emphasized and compared their competing individual characteristics and qualifications. They accepted situations with these employers at the opportunity cost of not following other career paths. They worked hard, they were advanced, they were promoted, given raises and titles. They made their employers wealthy and successful. Many of them were the same first responders celebrated for their courage, sacrifice and dedication during the first wave of the pandemic. But now, suddenly, their individual characteristics are irrelevant. The employer wants only one thing and makes continuation of the employment relationship wholly conditional upon it – get jabbed or else. This is nothing less than a shocking, vile, extortive and abusive betrayal of Canadian workers. These are the very best Canadians. They are the ones who have educated themselves, acquired skills, contributed to RRSPs, volunteered their time and money to worthy charities, coached and administered youth sports, served on local school boards, bought homes, and raised families. They are all among the class of highly skilled tradespeople or professionals whom our country has been trying to produce and import for decades. Some of them are anti-vax. But they are all pro-freedom. They claim the God-given right to decide what does or does not enter their bodies. They assert the ancient doctrine of informed consent and support cite the Nuremberg Code and the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Meanwhile, they are involuntarily placed on something called an unpaid leave of absence, a sort of employment purgatory during which they are neither working or terminated. They turn to their unions to grieve this assault, only to discover that their unions will not help them. It seems that they have already received an expert opinion from their legal counsel telling them that the employer is within its rights and so there is no point in taking the matter before an arbitrator. While this was going on, the federal government legislatively disqualified them from applying for employment insurance. Here again is the extortive influence of the state, using the levers of power to manipulate and intimidate society into compliance. This, then, is the awful dilemma that the unvaccinated faced to trade their liberty and the integrity of their own bodies for the security of a job that allows them to support their families and to acquire and to maintain personal property. This transcendent choice was explicated in a September 2021 letter penned by Dr. Eric Payne, an eminent pediatrician to Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who was at that time the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the province of Alberta. In 20 pages of brilliantly clear prose, copiously documented both medically and legally, Dr. Payne amplified the historical, medical, and political significance of the doctrine of informed consent. Essentially, once the individual permits the state to dictate what is done to their bodies, that is the end of personal autonomy. No Charter of Rights or Nuremberg Code can ever bring it back. Informed consent is a watershed, and this is precisely the point. In September of 2020, Justin Trudeau delivered a speech to the UN in which he endorsed the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, during which he described the COVID-19 pandemic as providing the, quote, opportunity for a reset, end quote. The WEF believes in global governance and in global wealth redistribution, arguing that capitalism is inequitable, ironic, given that collectively its members are responsible for that system. Trudeau has been a keynote speaker at the WEF twice since becoming Prime Minister. Deputy PM and Finance Minister Freeland and former Bank of Canada Governor Mark Carney are listed as members of its Board of Trustees. One of its earliest supporters was the late Canadian globalist Maurice Strong. The Great Reset Initiative was the theme of the WEF's 2021 meeting held in Lucerne, Switzerland. The initiative argues that the pandemic and climate change Demonstrate the need for global governance because individual nations are incapable of addressing them effectively or equitably under capitalism as it now exists. Here again is precisely what Nock wrote about 90 years ago, but taken to a new extreme. No longer can individual sovereign nation states exist. Just as the individual and society were too weak and inept to deal with the state's manufactured emergencies, now we must have a world government, a global state, to govern post-nation states, which is how our PM has described Canada, a nation without a core identity. So the UN Agenda 2030 is indistinguishable from the Great Reset. Its mantra is, you will have nothing and you will be happy. To get there, it is necessary to first dismantle capitalism by disarming, dispossessing, and destroying the one strong and free Canadian working class. Weaponizing a full health crisis as a means by which to eliminate the ability of workers to work, to maintain private property, or to accumulate wealth, would seem to be a rather effective strategy to reach our PM's stated objective of deconstructing Canada. No one talks about conspiracy theories anymore, because they've all come true. Can there still be any lingering doubt that the most oppressed Canadian minority is the individual, and that our greatest enemy is blind faith in the existence of a benign state which plunders and oppresses society and the collective public interest. H. L. Mencken perhaps best expressed this perilous state of affairs back in 1926. Quote, The state has taken on a vast mass of new duties and responsibilities. It has spread out its powers until they penetrate to every act of the citizen, however secret. It has begun to throw around its operations the high dignity and impeccability of a state religion. Its agents become a separate and superior caste with authority to bind and loose and their thumbs in every pot. But it still remains, as it was in the beginning, the common enemy of all well-disposed, industrious and decent men. I challenge you to consider that quotation in the context of the modern Canadian state.